after an unbelievable all-star 30-30 season in 2021 for Cedric Mullins, it's kind of been back-to-back semi-disappointing years for the Orioles center fielder. So we'll look back on that season and think, if he stays healthy, can Cedric Mullins bounce back in 2024? That's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Friday, December 29th, 2023, and welcome back into the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we are continuing our Orioles 2023 season player review series. We're looking at two of the center fielders on the Orioles roster today, reviewing the seasons for Cedric Mullins and for Ryan McKenna. For Mullins, we'll take a look at you know how the injuries really hurt him this year, missing multiple stints, and really how bad he was after coming back from those injuries. We'll talk about what his future is with the Orioles. Only two years left on his rookie deal. Will the O's extend him? Could he potentially be traded? And then we'll talk about Ryan McKenna as well, who actually had his best offensive season this year, but in a diminished role, spent more time in triple and quite frankly, seems to be being squeezed off the roster. So does McKenna even have a role on the 2024 Orioles? We'll chat about that as well. All coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 just if your team wins. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started today. So we are rolling on in our season review series for the Orioles players. Only got a few more episodes to go in this series to get to really every player who made an impact for the incredible AL East winning 101 win 2023 Orioles. But uh, this is our final episode of the calendar year 2023. We will be back next week with three more episodes, but next Monday is January 1st. So here on December 29th, the final episode of 2023. And definitely wanted to thank you all for all the listening you've done, all the watching you've done of this podcast. I mean, the Locked on Orioles podcast saw incredible growth in the year 2023, helped by an amazing Orioles season, but that's all thanks to you all as well. And so I'm not going to do like my full 2023 recap on today's show. Going to stick to Mullins and McKenna mostly. But I did want to do that next week on the show. So most likely coming up Monday and potentially Tuesday, whatever is our first episode of next week, that is going to be like the full look back on the 2023 calendar year for the Baltimore Orioles. But what I wanted to do with it is give you all a chance to kind of weigh in. You know, I was going to take a look at, you know, what the best game was, the best moment, the craziest plays, you know, the best players, uh, the, the things that made you scream in a good way, in a bad way. But I'm going to leave it mostly up to you all to make those decisions. So these are kind of going to be the fans' choice awards for the Orioles in 2023. So there will be a Google form, basically a survey for you to fill out that will be linked in the description of the podcast wherever you listen, on Apple, on Spotify. Make sure to leave a five-star rating and a review if you can as well. It will also be linked in the description of the YouTube video here. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked on Orioles YouTube channel. We will also post it on our Twitter account, at Locked on Orioles. I'll put it up on the Instagram account, Locked on Orioles, that I haven't used a lot, but it'll be up there. And again, if you don't have 
Any other way, can't find the link, whatever it is, email me, lockedonorioles at gmail.com can send you that link to fill that out. And if you have any questions, thoughts about the show, whatever it may be, email that email, lockedonorioles at gmail.com. But again, look out for that survey. Make sure to fill it out anytime this weekend and kind of get to the results and, and recap the 2023 year for the Orioles coming up on an episode next week. But for now, we're going to review the season starting with Cedric Mullins. And, you know, you look at the end-of-the-year numbers for Cedric Mullins, and I don't think he's going to win many of the awards things we're going to give out next week. Now, there's definitely some moments where Cedric Mullins was incredible this year, and a lot of the defining moments of the Orioles actually involve Cedric Mullins from this season, but if you look at his entire body of work, it was really the worst of his three full seasons he's been in the big leagues. Now, he first came up back at the end of 2018 and played part of that year, part of 19, part of 2020 in the big leagues, but was never a regular until he broke out in 2021 with the all-star year, the 30-30 season, and was amazing. He comes back in 2022 and certainly takes a step back, but he still stayed healthy, and he was still a productive player. He took another step back, and a lot of that was because of injury, in 2023. He only played in 116 games this year and had 455 plate appearances for the Orioles. 233 batting average was the lowest for any full season for Cedric. A 305 on base percentage was the same to go with a 416 slugging. He still did hit 15 home runs despite limited playing time, had 23 doubles, was only able to steal 19 bases somewhat because of the injuries. 10% walk rate was pretty good. 22% strikeout rate was also the highest of his career. And when you add it all up, it was still a positive, productive season. He was worth about two wins, according to Fangraph's war. Now, that's not nearly what he was the last two years, but that's because he posted seven defensive runs saved in center field, was still a very, very good defensive center fielder when he was out there. But the bat just wasn't there, and he actually finished the season as a below-league average bat. He finished with a 99 WRC+. Again, that is a number that kind of encompasses all of your offensive statistics, with 100 being league average. He was at 99, which means he was slightly below league average as a hitter this year. At best, you could say he was a league average bat with a good glove. And that is still a valuable major league player. As you can see, when he is on the field, he's making a difference. But it definitely hurt that he sustained those injuries, this year, he had two major IL stints, both of them costing him almost a month each. The first one was, you know, he pulled that groin, the hip, whatever the injury was kind of called. It was basically a groin or a hip or a ductor muscle the entire time, right around that area. But he injured it first and went on the IL May 30th and did not return until June 24th. And then it turned out he essentially re-injured it. July 19th, went on the IL again and did not return until August 11th. So, all in all, he missed about seven weeks of the season in there with those two injuries, and that equated to him only playing 116 games this year. And not only did the injuries keep him out of the lineup, but when he returned from the two stints on the IL this year, it seriously hampered his production because before the initial injury, basically the first two months of the season, in April and May, Cedric Mullins was on pace to be the player that he was in 2021. Back in 2021... Played 159 games, had a 136 WRC+, plus, 30 homers, 30 steals, was worth 5.9 wins according to Fangraph's war. He was an all-star. He was one of the best players in baseball that year. He had a 133 WRC+, plus when he first went on the injured list this year. That's basically in line with what he was doing in 2021. In over 200 plate appearances, he already had eight home runs. He was hitting 263. 
He was hitting the ball hard. He was 13 out of 15 stealing bases. He was taking advantage of the new rules for the first time. And it was looking like we could have a pretty equal Cedric Mullins to the 2021 season. And then the injury just took all of that away. And in that first stint back between June 24th and July 19th, basically the month there where he was healthy in between the two injuries, he was okay, but he still wasn't very good. It was only 66 plate appearances, but he only had a 91 WRC+. And he only attempted two stolen bases in that month. He was one for two. His strikeout rate also doubled. But the stolen base was the big thing that told you he still didn't feel 100% because he was swiping bags left and right early in the year. And he attempts two in a month. That's when you could kind of tell he's still not right. And then, you know, he comes up with an issue again, goes back on the injured list. And when he finally returns off the IL on August 11th, he stayed quote-unquote healthy for the rest of the season after that. But when he returned... August 11th on, he was dreadful down the stretch as a hitter. 165 plate appearances for Cedric Mullins down the stretch after coming back. He hit 190 with a 55 WRC+, meaning he was 45% worse than a league average hitter. Now, he did steal all five bases that he attempted, but again, that was two months of the season in which he only attempted five stolen bases. It was nice that he was a perfect five for five down the stretch, but that's not what you need from Cedric Mullins when he gets on the base pass. And honestly, some of the reason he only stole five bases, some was the injury, some was that he wasn't nearly on base as much as he usually is because he struggled so much with the bat. And it just, it wasn't the same player that had the, even the 108 WRC plus, the 3.6 F4 in 2022. Like, yes, that player was a step back from 21, but that was still a step above what he did this year. And that was still a healthy season. He played 156 games in 2022. So that's all to say, yes, there was a lot of disappointment in Cedric Mullins' season, not just with the injuries, but with what he was on the field after he came back from those injuries. It just, it was not a player you felt like you could trust for consistent production down the stretch for a division-winning team. But the weird thing was, even when he came back from the injuries, this was certainly the case before the first injury, but even when he came back down the stretch, he might have an 0 for 3 night with two strikeouts. But if he came up to the plate that fourth time in a big spot, that's when you could count on Cedric Mullins. Now, it's hard to quantify and qualify how clutch a player is. A lot of people in the sabermetric community believe that clutch doesn't really exist. It's more random. You can't really be a clutch hitter usually because if you're a good hitter in clutch spots, you're generally a good hitter in all spots as well. But I got to be honest, if there's a guy who shows clutch in Major League Baseball this year, it is Cedric Mullins. I'm going to get into some of the other numbers in a bit, which really show how good he was in these spots. But this is the one that was so mind-boggling. With the bases empty this season, Cedric Mullins had a 61 WRC+. He was 39% worse than league average with the bases empty. With runners on base, this isn't even getting to runners in scoring position, just if anybody was on base... He had a 159 WRC plus this season. Cedric Mullins was almost triple the hitter with runners on base than he was with the bases empty. You could almost guarantee what was going to happen if Cedric Mullins came up with nobody on or if Cedric Mullins came up with guys on base. It was ridiculous. And when you get to the even more quote-unquote clutch situations, he was even better with runners in scoring position this year. He hit 320. And his 173 WRC plus was 12th best in baseball among hitters with at least 100 plate appearances with runners in scoring position. 
in high leverage spots, which are defined by fan graphs as basically late in the game, final few innings, runners on base, close game. He was ninth in Major League Baseball with a 171 WRC plus in high leverage spots. Ninth among players with at least 50 plate appearances in those spots. He was one of the players, not just on the Orioles, but across the league that you could trust the most in a big moment. And you think back to some of those big moments that he had this year. The insane stretch in Seattle, right? Where he robs the homer in the bottom of the ninth, hits the go-ahead homer in the top of the tenth. The huge game-changing go-ahead home run he hit in the top of the ninth inning in September in Houston to give the Orioles a big win. The walk-off sack fly that he had in that Sunday game against the Rays that clinched the playoff spot for the Orioles. And there were many, many more wrapped in for Cedric Mullins as well. And heck, he even hit for the cycle this year. If you go all the way back to then, remember that night against the Pirates hits a three-run homer in the eighth inning to complete the cycle. Like, he had some incredible moments this season. But it was just such a weird year because when you just think about the moments of Cedric Mullins, you think, oh, he must have had an amazing year. But everything else around those big moments was just not good, at least offensively, for Cedric Mullins. Again, he still kept up his defensive performance, but he had his highest strikeout rate and his lowest average and his lowest on base and, you know, his highest launch. Like, he was just... He wasn't the same hitter. He was a different hitter. He was hitting the ball on the ground less, which is usually good, but it honestly meant more pop-ups for him. He was still hitting less line drives, more lazy fly balls this year. He was pulling the ball way more than he ever had. Did have his highest max exit velocity, but it wasn't his highest average exit velocity. Just in general, a weird year, and he had more troubles with fastballs too this year, and that could have been some of the injury. He had much more trouble hitting high velocity than he ever had in his career. And then the other thing that was weird was just he lost the splits that we saw last year. Remember when he was so good in 2021, he dropped switch hitting, he became fully a left-handed hitter. And while he was still better against right-handed pitching that year, he hit lefties really well, and that's what made him so good. Then last year, he was a disaster against lefties. He had just a 68 WRC plus in 2022 against lefties, but a 124 against righties. He was still great against right-handers. That's what made him still a productive hitter last year. This year... He was basically the exact same thing against righties and lefties. Against lefties, he hit 233 with a 97 WRC+. Plus. Against righties, he hit 233 with a 99 WRC+. Plus. Had a couple more homers against righties. That was about it. That was the only difference versus righties and lefties. So he figured out the lefty sum and lost a lot of the leverage against the right-handers. Just a weird, weird year for Cedric Mullins. So you add all that in with the on-base going down and you know the injury issues. And that was the reason why... For most of the season, Cedric Mullins, once he came back from the injury, just was not the Orioles' leadoff hitter. That job went to Gunnar Henderson some, and Adam Frazier got it a little bit, and Austin Hayes got it a little bit, and Adley Rutschman got put into that role some. But it just wasn't Cedric Mullins' job. Even when he was back in the lineup consistently late in the season, he was hitting 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th in the Orioles' order, which honestly at that point I felt like was a better spot for him because he was struggling so much at the plate. You still wanted him out there. Because he could still steal a bag, he could still get the clutch hit, and he was so, so good still defensively in center field that you wanted him in the lineup. And I've been saying for a while that I would like to see the Orioles extend Cedric Mullins, and I think he would be a great center fielder for years to come who hits 8th or ninth in your order every day. I think that means you have a really, really good lineup put together. And I still believe that. Like, I still think he should get that extension. We'll talk about that in a bit. But in terms of a leadoff hitter, I mean, unless he has a huge bounce back where the OBP numbers go back up and he's healthy, 
I don't see him hitting leadoff anymore because, yes, he is kind of more of the old-school prototypical leadoff hitter. He's a left-handed hitter, hits the ball around the ballpark. He has good speed. That's not really baseball anymore. Like Adley Rutschman, much better leadoff hitter. Dude, by far, leads this team in on-base percentage. And Brandon Hyde didn't like to hit Adley leadoff all the time because he felt like you know he was being rushed, getting off the field, catching the top of the first, and having to get ready and hit to lead off the bottom of the first, especially with the pitch clock and the timer in between innings. But he did it some, and I feel like Gunnar Henderson fits that spot well. And there are guys coming through the O's system who are coming up to the bigs who could really fit that spot well too. So I just think, unless there's a huge turnaround, Cedric Mullins probably isn't this leadoff hitter anymore. But then you kind of get to the question of, well, What's his role for the Orioles, right? Because for two straight years, he was that guy penciled in number one in the order, essentially in 2021 and 22. That was not the case this season as the team got better. So where does he fit in the future? Does he just run out of his contract? Does he get traded? Does he get extended? What should the Orioles do? We'll get to that coming up next. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. Two weeks remain. In the NFL regular season, just two weeks to figure out who is going to the playoffs. And as the weather gets colder, the NFL offers stay hot on FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 just if your team wins. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season with FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. So I kind of laid out what 2023 looked like for Cedric Mullins. And at this point, he's got two years left as an Oriole before he would hit free agency. He, according to MLB Trade Rumors, is going to be due around $6.4 million in arbitration for his 2024 season. That number can't go down for 2025 and you would assume at the very least goes up a little bit so you can guess Cedric Mullins due to make eight nine ten million dollars probably in his final year in 2025 now you know two years 15 million for the rest of the Cedric Mullins contract is pretty good for a player who still brings a lot of value even if the bat is not there and that was the case this season but he is a free agent after 2025 two years left And we haven't seen the Orioles give out an extension or really negotiate those extensions with anyone at this point. To me, if the O's are worried about money and John Angelos is talking about how if he gives out $100 million to a player in an extension, the team will go financially under and he'll have to raise ticket prices. Like, it's all a lie. But he's saying those things because he's not willing to to spend that money. To me, if the O's were going to extend any players... Guys like Cedric Mullins, Anthony Santander, and John Means, to me, would be like the easiest candidates. Santander and Means are free agents after this year, and then Mullins a free agent after 2025. They seem like the guys who would fit this model perfectly because they're not guys I don't think any of them are going to command, at least at this point, $100 million if they were to hit free agency. Instead, these are guys you could tack on you know, tiny extensions, right? 
two years, 30 million, two years, 40 million to a couple of these guys to just get them to stick around a little bit longer. You don't have to commit six, seven, eight more years to any of these players, but one or two or three more years to continue to bridge that gap. And I like it for John Means because he'd just be, as long as he's healthy, a veteran pitcher at the back end of that rotation. I like it for Santander because at the very least he can be a DH moving forward. He's still a very productive hitter. And I like it for Cedric Mullins because even if the bat is faltering, he is such a good defensive center fielder that if you even extended him for like two extra years, I still think he would be very valuable through 2027. And then at that point, you can figure out, all right, here's what we have in Bradfield and Beavers and Fabian and Kowser and, you know, these next crop of, of young players they bring up as well. They can really figure out what they have. And Mullins would be a great leader, I think, to just hit eighth or ninth in the order every day and maybe sit against some left-handers and play a really, really good center field. And I don't think he'd be super expensive if you gave him out an extension. But the flip side of it is, if the Orioles aren't even considering extensions for any of these guys, and they feel like Mullins is just never again going to be the player, the incredible all-star player that he was in 2021, which could certainly be the case, would they look at trading him? I mean, Mullins was not drafted by this regime. He was a Dan Duquette draft pick. He was already in the big leagues by the time Mike Elias took over this team in November of 2018. And although Cedric Mullins has done amazing things for the Orioles, he's not an Elias draft pick, an Elias development guy. Like, he was mostly in the majors when Mike Elias was here. And, you know, if the O's are going to operate, like the Rays, like the Guardians, like the Brewers, these guys who are getting close to free agency, like Santander, who I just mentioned, and Mullins, who's two years away, they start to think about, you know, do those trades come? Do we make those trades before they get too expensive or before we lose them for nothing in free agency? And one thing we have heard is that Whenever the Orioles have engaged any trade talks with the Marlins, the Marlins continue to seem like a perfect trade fit for the Orioles, right? They have too much young pitching. The Orioles have too much young hitting. They should swap some of those guys at some point and make a good deal here. But it seems like the Marlins, at least under Kim Ang, always asking about Cedric Mullins in deals like that, wanting Mullins for a pitcher. And the Orioles just, to that point, were not willing to give up Mullins, especially after the amazing 2021 season. Now... Are the Orioles more willing now that they drafted Bradfield, now that they have Kowser, and they have other guys in the outfield? Now that maybe the Marlins, you know, under a different GM with Kim Ang gone and, and Peter Bendix in there who came over from the Rays, are they more willing to make that kind of deal? Are the Orioles looking to trade Cedric Mullins? You know, now they feel like they may have their long-term replacement. They drafted a center fielder in Enrique Bradfield Jr. in the first round in 2023. He's a guy who, yes, still needs to go fully through the Orioles hitting development program, but with his tools and how good he was at Vanderbilt, he could be a fast riser through the system. And at the very least, like, I think he should be ready if the Orioles believe in him to be the everyday center fielder by 2026, you know, by the time Mullins would hit free agency and leave. But do the Orioles think Bradfield can be ready by opening day 2025? If they think that, and he's got support with, you know, Kowser being able to play some center field and other guys being able to play some center field, are the Orioles willing to trade Mullins next offseason? Like, here's the one thing about a trade. I would not trade Cedric Mullins. As long as he stays healthy, right, doesn't get multiple injuries again in 2024, and as long as he is more productive, he's at the very least looking more like the hitter he was in 2022, which is above league average, still solid power, stealing bases, just not the—I don't think he's ever going to be the 30-30 player again. I don't think he's ever going to be the all-star player again. But if he's closer to 2022 in his 24 season— I would try to offer him some sort of two-year extension, right? Get him signed through 2027, keep him around, hit at the bottom of the order, play center field. That's what I would love to see in Cedric Mullins. He is a great 
person, player, everything for this team, this community. I love having Cedric Mullins on this ball club. Now, if the Orioles are thinking about trading him, it's not going to be this offseason, right? Because his value has not been this low since after the 2020 season, right? Since before he started that amazing 2021 when he was, you know, getting sent down to the minors. Remember, he spent the end of 2019 in AA. Like, his value is not nearly that low right now. He's still a big league productive player, but this was his worst offensive season of his three full seasons in the big leagues, and he suffered two injuries this year. So you're not going to trade him now when the value is this low. Now, a year from now, if he recuperates the value, if he plays a lot better in 2024, I could see the Orioles dealing him before his final year with the O's before he would hit free agency if they're just not willing to put him in center field. Again, the value's low. I don't think, you know, Bradfield's not ready. Judd Fabian's not ready. And I don't think the O's are willing to play, you know, Kowser slash Hayes slash McKenna slash Sam Hilliard in center field every day. They're just not willing to do it. They don't have the option. Cedric Mullins is their guy going into 2024. But after that, I just don't know. And again, I would not trade him. But I think the Orioles would. And this time next year in the offseason, unless he really tanks and is even worse next year, I think he's going to be coming up in a lot of trade conversations. And if the O's do it, like they better get a starting pitcher back in a trade that would send Cedric Mullins away. But it's going to be tough conversations to have. I just hope he bounces back in a way that makes the Orioles give out their first, even if it's a small extension, just their first extension to a player Two years, $35 million, whatever it needs to be, tack it on to the end of Mullins' deal, get him to stay here and be the center fielder. I think he makes the Orioles better when he is out there. But the guy who filled in for Mullins some when Cedric was injured, but probably not as much as he wanted to this year, was Ryan McKenna, who actually had a better offensive season, still not a good one, but a better one, although he saw his playing time diminished. And now he's out of options. Is Ryan McKenna even an Oriole in 2024? We'll talk about that coming up next to finish off the pod. So as Cedric Mullins missed you know, a good amount of time, six, seven weeks last year, you, you would have thought, oh, that means maybe Ryan McKenna is getting some serious playing time to kind of give him one more shot to show that he sticks on this team. Except... That's not what happened, right? The Orioles signed Aaron Hicks shortly after Mullins went down in late May, and Hicks himself ended up on the IL multiple times, but Hicks was so productive, and they, they gave Colton Cowser a chance to come up, and he did struggle, but he got some time in center field, and Austin Hayes played a little center field right after the injury, too, and certainly McKenna was out there, but I don't think Ryan McKenna got as much playing time as he would have wanted due to a Cedric Mullins injury. All in all, Ryan McKenna in 2023, 89 games played and 139 plate appearances. He hit 254 with a 316 on base and a 361 slugging, two home runs, a 7% walk rate, and a pretty bad 29% strikeout rate on the year. Also, he had a 90 WRC+, which was the best of his three-year big league career. He first got to the bigs in 2021 with the Orioles. That's still 10% worse than league average, and that was his best offensive season of the three. And it was honestly aided by a lot of luck. Ryan McKenna had a 354 BABIP this season. BABIP is batting average on balls in play. Generally considered that anything above like 280 or 290 is pretty lucky. Like you're getting, if you're over 300 and this high over 300, there's just a lot of luck involved. Like you're getting balls to fall that shouldn't be falling. He got that 
and he still only hit 254 with a 90 WRC+. He stole five bases. He was good in the outfield, three defensive runs saved, and the outfield played all three positions, left, center, and right at times for the Orioles this year. You know, it was mostly, once again, a pinch runner, a defensive replacement, would start against some lefties as a right-handed bat. But it was weird because he had his best career numbers pretty much across the board offensively, and yet of his three seasons, it was his least number of plate appearances and the least playing time that he's gotten. Now, most of that is because this Orioles team was much, much better but he was pretty bad in 2022, and he was horrendous in about 200 plate appearances his first year in 2021. Now, it was quite an up-and-down season for Ryan McKenna, right? He makes the opening day roster. Game two of the year, he drops that fly ball in left field at Fenway Park that luckily didn't completely define the Orioles' season, but it could have at least defined his. And he held on until early July. He was optioned on July 5th, recalled July 25th, optioned again August 11th, recalled on August 19th, Optioned again on September 14th, recalled September 20th, and then optioned again on September 27th, and that was the end of the Ryan McKenna season. So he was still with the team for the majority of the year, but he was only optioned once in 2022. Like, he was much more up and down in 2023, and the Orioles were using that to their gain because... Aaron Hicks was performing so well, and Cedric Mullins was making his way back, and they were giving Kowser a chance and Kerstad a chance, and of course they still had, you know, Hayes and Santander out there, and they were even playing Jorge Mateo in center field a little bit, that they were utilizing those guys and not utilizing Ryan McKenna. What they were utilizing with McKenna was the options he had left, and 2023 was McKenna's final option year. So he goes into next season, while he still, you know, was not a free agent until, what is it, after 2027, like he's got, you know, plenty four years of, of control left. But he has no more minor league options, which means if the O's did try to send him down to AAA or if he didn't make the opening day roster next year, he would have to pass through waivers and would be available to every other team before he could potentially go to Norfolk and stay in the O's organization. Now, I'm not sure how sought after Ryan McKenna is at this point if he were to end up on waivers at some point, but that makes him much less valuable to the O's as a fifth outfielder type if he has no options. And I talked about this last week. Make sure to go back and listen to the episode where I kind of broke down the case between Jorge Mateo and Ramon Arias, looked at their seasons and talked about, hey, if the O's can only choose one because the infield's getting so crowded, who would they keep on the 2024 roster? And I actually settled on Mateo over Arias because I felt like just a little bit of Mateo that we saw in the outfield and obviously the, the base running and the speed factors in and the defense, but the fact that the O's trusted him to play some center field, not just in like blowouts, like in real situations last year, tells me that as a right-handed bat and Mateo who can still hit lefties and can play center field, he can basically take the job, I think, of Ryan McKenna. I think if the infield's getting too crowded, there's, still, there's a little more space in the outfield than there is in the infield right now for the O's. He can take Ryan McKenna's job. Like, Ryan McKenna at least offensively in the past, he had hit righties, or he had hit lefties, excuse me. He didn't even hit lefties this year. He found out how to hit righties. He had a 76 WRC plus against left-handed pitching this season. That was like the one thing he did well at the plate, and he was still striking out a lot and couldn't even do that. Jorge Mateo, as bad as his bat was, he was still above, above league average against left-handed pitching in 2023. I honestly think, now that Ryan McKenna is out of options, I mean, you've got Hayes, Mullins, Santander, Kerstad, Hilliard, Kowser, Stowers, all in the 40-man roster in the outfield along with McKenna. With all those options and the fact that Mike Elias, multiple times this offseason, when asked about, like, hey, would you think about adding any hitters? You know, they're pretty stacked at hitters. They're looking to add pitching this offseason. Elias has said, basically, that we're, we're pretty much good, but we are potentially looking at a right-handed hitting outfield bat if we were going to add anything. 
You know who's a right-handed hitting outfield bat? Ryan McKenna. That tells me his time is pretty much done. Now, he's still on this 40-man roster, and for good reason. There's been no reason to, to kick him off yet. It's not that the O's have absolutely needed a spot at any point on the 40-man this offseason. But I think it's kind of done for McKenna. Unless he just has this incredible spring training, he comes in with all this work this offseason, a change swing, making more contact, hitting well, still playing the great defense. Unless that happens, and he wasn't even as good defensively this year, not even just the drop pop-up. And yes, he had you know a couple of cool moments. The walk-off home run against the Mariners was a big one in the 10th inning. But other than that, I mean, what did, did McKenna really do for the Orioles this year? And if you feel that even for, you know, Mateo played center field for 20 innings this year. If you feel Mateo can play the outfield for, let's say, 50 innings in 2024 and do it an okay job, he gives you more on the base pass. He can also play the infield. And at this point, he hits lefties better than McKenna does, which is kind of their job on the team. I'm not only keeping Mateo over Arias, I'm keeping Mateo on the roster over McKenna as well. And I just think when it gets to the point when the Orioles have to make their opening day roster next March, I think Mariah McKenna could get DF8. Now, that doesn't automatically mean he's going to be gone because there's no guarantee that another team would claim him. But he does have a lot of team control left. He is still young. He was once a top 10 prospect in the Orioles system and a fairly high draft pick. So someone could claim him, especially a rebuilding team that needs a, you know an extra outfielder. But in general, I think Ryan McKenna's done. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if he at least started the year on the team next year. And they really, they felt it out for a couple of months. Maybe if they're keeping Jackson Holiday and Joey Ortiz and others, you know, maybe Colton Cowser still down in AAA to start the year next year, certainly there could be a roster spot for Ryan McKenna to begin the season. But at the very least, at some point early next year, April, May, June, I think McKenna's just going to get DFA'd. I mean, there's just no more space for him on this roster. And he's just really not contributing in, in any discernible way for the O's. So that's kind of my big prediction for Ryan McKenna. I, I just think that, and maybe even by opening day, he's he's in another organization, and it's not because of a trade. It's just he hasn't grabbed his chances, and he's now been surpassed by a lot of players. And I do really think that another tick for Jorge Mateo is that I think at this point he could do Ryan McKenna's job. But that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening, for watching. That'll do it for 2023 on the podcast. An amazing year here at Locked on Orioles. Remember, next week, we will be back to kind of recap all of 2023 for the Orioles and for the podcast as well. Make sure to look in the description for that link to that survey to kind of fill out what your favorite Orioles moments, your favorite podcast moments were from 2023. And we'll talk about them when we return on the pod next week. But until then, have a happy new year. I am Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.